Indeed, Lord, there is none like you. None like, nothing like the love you have for us. Nothing like the plans you have to prosper us. Plans to do is good, not evil. Father, there is nothing like your word. It is absolute truth can be relied upon. And Lord, there is nothing like your faithfulness. Men may fail us, but you will never fail us. We love you, Lord. Have your way here today through your word. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, I'm going to preach from uh, Revelation 19, verse 7. My wife read the verse. I'm also going to be looking at some other chapters, particularly Matthew 24. And the verse my wife read said, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. If you're a Christian, you know the wife is the people of God. And in heaven, there will be a wedding feast with Jesus the bride, sorry, the groom and his bride, which is made up of you and I. And the reason we're reading that is because many people who are listening to the Spirit believe that that wedding feast could come any time. Christ could come for his church any time. And because he said in Matthew 24, there are signs of his coming. He says, that, he says that these signs, there'll be deception, many deceivers. You know, we've had the, you know, the JWs, the Mormons. There's never been more deception this last century. Still today, there's many cults. He says there's wars and rumors. Well, we can see that. It's happening all the time. That's increasing. And he says the end is not yet. Kingdom against king, that's tribe. You see that in Sudan and those places. There's tribal wars now. Kingdoms, there's pestilences famines, earthquakes, more earthquakes than ever before. The earth is actually constantly quaking now. That's measurable. So all these things are happening. And it says tribulation. They'll kill you in 76 nations. People are being killed for their faith today. Be hated. You just feel the hatred coming at believers already. And then offense will come up. False prophets will arrive. Lawlessness. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So if we believe that, that all the things happening in the world today, I believe Christians, and I believe in a, people know I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. You don't have to believe that, but I believe that's what the scriptures teach. And if, that, if, if we are right and we see all these things and we believe and we see and in our spirit, we just know we entered a new epoch. We've entered a new era since 2019. We're not going back. The world's not the same. And I believe we've entered into the end of the end times. And so what we have to understand is that he says, if you believe that and you believe that you're going with Christ, he says, let us be glad and rejoice, not morbid, and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come But listen to this, his wife has made herself ready. So there's a thing that believers ought be doing now. If you're led by the Holy Spirit, you should have a witness that Christ is coming and your job and my job 
like a bride before a wedding when she's going to meet the groom. There's a season of preparation that we need to be not sitting on our butts. We need to be people who are ready for Christ, anticipating his Christ, eagerly anticipating his return and be ready. And the Bible tells us here what we need to do to be ready. And you see here that the bride is arrayed in fine linen. What does it say? Clean and bright. It's the finest linen. And that linen is white and it is clean. clean. You've never seen a bride get married on a, in a dress with stains. At least I haven't. So the first thing we need to be doing is cleansing our life. You know, this is, the, this is what happens. Christ comes and he, you have no righteousness of your own. He is our righteousness. He lives a perfectly righteous life for you. Then he dies for your unrighteous acts. And putting your faith in him, when you do that, that he is my righteousness, I have no own. He imputes righteousness to us. So we are righteous by faith. That is what we call an imputed righteousness. But having received that, we then have to appropriate that and we have to outwork that righteousness. So we have to outwork that righteousness. And a lot of, a, a lot of people miss this. But the Bible says it in many, many times. I'll read you a few places how Christ has done his job, but we now need to do our job. Titus 2 says this. Uh, Titus 2, 11 to 13, knowing that such a... That's Titus 3. Titus 2, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness, worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So we are meant to be removing all blemishes. And it's very interesting because there's a connection. You know, the, the return of Christ is not preached very often these days, particularly in the Western church. It used to be preached a lot. But the return of Christ and being holy and righteous is, is deeply linked. You see the, the passage I just read. Titus says, uh, we live soberly. And he says, we live soberly, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see the same thing in 2 Peter 3.12. He makes the same statement. He says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct, and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. So we, he says, you're going to be holy and you're going to be righteous and your conduct is going to be godly as you look for the coming of Jesus. And that, that just means that this is a season where your, your lust, your you know, swearing, the idols that we have, everything, you know, idols can even be shopping. All these are bl uh, blemishes on our wedding garment. And this is a time where we anticipate Christ is coming and we say, I'm going to remove that. I'm going to repent that. I'm going to renounce that. And uh, it's interesting, you know, here it says in 2 Peter, 
it says, in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. So this is the church. We are, this is to digress about, we are, we are, we are meant to be looking for Christ's coming. And we're meant to be hastening his coming. And you say, well, how do we hasten? This is a, a teaching that kind of modifies the hyper-sovereignty of God teaching. How do we hasten the coming of the Lord? Well, it says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the nations as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So if we go to the nations and we preach to every lost soul and we reach every lost soul, we are hastening the coming of Christ. And if we don't do it, we're delaying the coming of Christ. That's why God's sending us into the nations. But we need to be hastening and looking for his coming and making sure that our garment is white, it is pure, it is unblemished. God has, he has declared us positionally righteous, but we need to have an outworked righteousness. God says in 2 Corinthians 6, 18, I'll dwell in them, I'll walk among them, I'll be their God, they shall be my people. Therefore, that means you come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. Then I will receive you, I'll be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. That's a, that's a side issue. Not, a lot of people can't experience the Father's love, and that's because they don't take holiness seriously. Come out from among them, be separate, do not touch what is unclean, then I will be a father to you. So it's time for us to cleanse our garment, to get rid of all blemishes, because this is how a bride makes herself ready for the groom. And that may be obvious. Then it says, and to her it, and her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Your translation might say it's the righteous works of the saints. So we're clothed in a white garment and it's made up of works and acts. It's not made up of a dead confession. You, you, you are not saved by works, lest any man boast. But having been saved, works are evidence that we are saved. And you've got to be careful that we don't have what I call a dead faith. Because it's possible to have a dead faith. If you listen to what James says in chapter 2, I'll read it to you. And it's really significant because he says this. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother and sister is naked and destiny of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself it does not have, if it does not have works, it is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, but I have works. I say, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Do you see that faith was working together with Abraham's works, and by works, faith was made perfect? So it's really important that we don't think we are saved to sit. Hebrews 2, no, sorry, Ephesians 2 says that you and I are, are the workmanship of God. 
He has fashioned us and you, Natalie, has her job. Tracy has her job. I just went blank. Has her job. Everybody is different, but we are all to co-labor with God in bringing about this gospel to the world. It is, it is very important that we don't become sermon sippers, that we actually know we are made for good works. And you know, God has no plan B. It's not like he's sovereign, it's just going to happen. It's like he is sovereign, but he is sovereignly in partnership with you and I. And so it's really important that we know because this is the garment. This is the garment. And, and, and this is disturbing. I don't, I'm not saying I know the answer to this, but there's a disturbing parable Jesus spoke about in Matthew 22, which is about another wedding feast. In Matthew 22, I think it's about verse 14. The wedding feast is happening and Jesus comes and he sees a guy in the wedding feast and he has no garment. He kicks him out. He says, you're going outside with the hypocrites. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't fully understand that. That but I'm still asking God to give me revelation. But it's sobering, that it, and it's possible to have a dead faith. Your faith is evidence. The evidence that you have a living faith is that you are you're doing something. And what are the works that we should be doing? Jesus said in Matthew in John six twenty nine. He said this. He said the works. This is, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? The disciples asked. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So the first work that we all need to do, we need to believe in Christ, that he was sent from heaven to save me from my sin. That is the first work. Then we need to believe his promises. And every time you stand on his promises, every time you stand and say, I believe his word is the last say, you're sewing your garment. You're making your garment. You're making yourself ready through your acts of believing him, your works in trusting him. But it doesn't just end there. Then there is the gifts. That's why 1 Peter 4 says this. It speaks about the end. And then it speaks about using our gift. It says, but the end of all things is at heaven. Is it, sorry, is at hand. He says, be serious, watchful in your prayers. Above all things, put on love, be hospitable. And he says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we are sowing our garment when we are using our gift. And this church has been spending a lot of time at the moment doing spiritual gifts course, not because we want you to get head knowledge, but we want you to understand your shape and where you fit and for you to be active. You know, some of us are teachers, some of us are givers, some of us are administrators. Whatever it is, you discover your gift and you use it because that is how you make yourself ready. That's how you sew your garment. Her it was granted to be arrayed in, in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous works or acts of the saints. And you know, the, one of the things I think how every saint, every Christian can be working in this day and age, as you know, we're all called to preach. 
We're all called to preach. Mark 16, Mark 16 says, All believers that go into the world and preach the gospel. And these signs will follow everyone who believes. And, and you know, there's different ways to preach the gospel. Sometimes just telling people what Jesus has done for you, how he's changed your life. But I believe it's like we're in a situation now where storms are coming. You know, wars and fam. I'm telling you, you know, it, 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 it's not pessimistic to be negative. Sometimes it's just realistic, but the Holy Spirit shows you things to come that we're heading into difficult times, we're heading into storms, and the world's going to get darker and darker and darker. But you know, it's like, I feel like it's, a lot of the church is very much like Jonah. You know, he's called to go and preach, and he's running from his calling. And people end up in a storm, and they're perishing and the only one who knows God, the only one who's got the answer is asleep worrying about himself. And he's called to preach. And everybody's called to preach. And the works that we can all do is when we see people starting to get tossed. You know, those sailors on Jonah's boat were starting to get worried they're going to perish. That's going to happen in future. Many people are going to see what's going to happen in the world and they're going to start to worry. They're going to start to, what's happening to the world? Pestilence, wars, it's all changing. You're the one who knows God. You're the one who has the truth. There's nobody else. And it's time for the church to arise like Jonah and declare so people can be saved. I'm telling you, that's going to happen. Here's a digression, but I heard this a long time ago, and I forget which preacher, but it was another preacher preached it, and it was prophetic, but it's always stuck with me. And this is what's happening now. There's a time where Paul was on a ship in Acts 27, and he was, he was going, and all these people, they're worldly people, but he had the Word of God, and he says to them, I sense the direction you're going is wrong, and you're going to perish. And they say, we don't want to hear from you, Paul, and they put him down below. So they don't want to hear from the Word of God. They don't want to hear from the man of God. And they put him off down below. But then the storm actually came. You know, Paul says, the direction you're going is wrong. The direction you're going in your life is wrong. You tell people that. But when the storms hit, then these people, who'd they look for? They went looking for Paul. And Paul came out. And now Paul, they said, well, the Word of God, we need it now. And that's going to happen in this generation. When people that have rejected the Word of God, that have rejected you as a Christian, when the storms really hit, they're going to come looking for you. They're going to come looking for They're going to come looking for the truth, the Word of God, as Ross said earlier. So to be ready, we have to be out. We have to have a garment on. We have to be purified. We've got to, this is a time where the Holy Spirit will be convicting you. The Holy Spirit will be convicting you. And you just say, God, I thank you for the power. I have the power to remove that sin. I have the power to remove that idol. And I am going to have a clean garment. And I am going to be ready. You make the choice. He will release the power. And then we have to be active, you know, believing all the time, believing and, 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 and working by believing and working by using our gifts. If your gift is preaching, keep preaching. If it's teaching, preach teaching. If it's giving, keep giving. Because you know why it's important? I tell you why it's important. When Jesus comes again, he said, I'm coming quickly. Behold, my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Not to your confession, to his work. 
And you want to get a great reward, don't you? Another reason it's, it's important to be doing the work now. John, John 9 verse 4, Jesus said this, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. You know what COVID was? COVID was a taste of night where many could not work. And there's going to come a time, I believe it's going to get dark and dark and dark and dark and dark, where you can't work. And many people, even believers, will be sitting there with great regret saying, I, 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 wish, I'd I wish I'd been active. I wish I'd used that gift. And other people will be sitting there satisfied saying, I used it. I've, I've done what God called me to do. I'm satisfied. And I'm ready just to wait for Christ. Because night is coming. The dark is going to get darker. And there may come a time where we cannot work. So we need to be working now. We need to be believing. We need to be active now. Now this all sounds negative, but it's going to get positive at the end. Hang in there. Also, Jesus said in Matthew 24, what is going to be needed in this time? And it's really important. He says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Endures. And you know, uh, endurance is always, when it speaks about the Bible, it speaks about enduring in the Bible. It's always related to suffering. Suffering and trials. And because the world's going to get dark, the Bible says Christians could be persecuted. Even here, there could be tribulation, there could be shortages, there could be famines, there could be wars, the darkness gets dark, and we could go through a time of great suffering. Now, suffering. Peter said, all in Christ Jesus will suffer. But if you suffer as a Christian, there's a purpose. If you suffer not as a Christian, there's no purpose in it. But listen to what James said. James said a lot about suffering. In chapter 5, verse 7, 11, he says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So be patient. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says, Don't grumble. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. See those words, patient? Took me 40 years to learn patience. Patience. See that word, perseverance. Verse 11, see the word endure. And he said, all these things are going to be required when you see the coming of the Lord. And he says, see, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example. You know, it, there's a lot of false prophetic ministry today because you can see there's no talk of suffering. But a true prophet, he's, his ministry is to call people back to God. Not to just give you, you know, words that could be an astrologer or something. But a prophet will call people back to God. And here he says, the prophets who spoke in the name as an example of suffering and patience. And, and if you have a true prophetic ministry... If you have a true, 
your life will know difficulty and pain. That's, that's a fact. If you have an apostolic, if you have a, have, a, have a prophetic ministry, your life will know suffering and pain and difficulty. Why? I'll tell you why this is, and I've experienced this myself. When you do damage to Satan's kingdom, when you really do damage, so you're pulling people out of Satan's kingdom and the kingdom of God, Satan fights back. And if you're not prepared to be rejected, to be afflicted, don't go into the ministry because that's the real ministry. The real ministry involves suffering. That's what Paul says. Suffering requires patience. But here's how you when you have to suffer, here's, how, here's the key to enduring suffering. James says, it took me a long time to learn this as well, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that testing your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect word, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's why we endure in suffering, because God has a purpose. He allows us to go through it so that it has a work in our character when we endure it, he says. We are patient in it. It produces a perfect work that we are perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Who wants to lack nothing? Have all of Christ's goodness, all of his character in you. Well, you need to endure suffering. You need to endure the trial when it comes. We need to know that it's normal Christianity and all in Christ Jesus, they suffer. You know, Matthew 25, I just read it, 24 says, He who endures the hardships to the end, he will be saved. But Luke has a, has a different word. He's, it's the same passage, but in Luke chapter 21, he says this, he speaks about the same thing, goes through all the sufferings, you'll be betrayed by your parents, hated and all these sort of things. Not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, or your endurance, is a, a better translation, by your endurance, possess your soul. Now, the word possess is translated in the Greek, purchase. You know, there are things that we have to purchase. He says, by your endurance, purchase your salvation or be lost. <laughs> Sobering. Purchase it. Some things the Bible speaks about, Isaiah 55 says, come buy things that uh, milk and water, things that money can't buy. Same with the virgins, the parable of the virgins. They, when Christ came, it was too late, but they went away to buy the Holy Spirit. We buy the Holy Spirit through prayer. We buy the Holy Spirit through fasting. We buy the Holy Spirit when we read the Word. We purchase. We keep ourselves filled with the Holy Spirit and we purchase our salvation through endurance. I know Jesus Christ won it, but unless we endure to the end, we are lost. We're lost. That's why we need to say, okay, I've, I've preached this sermon many times. I've said, you know, there's a saying you, when you're a boxer in your boxing match and things get hard and when it gets difficult and the boxer might want to quit, 
his corner throws in the towel. As a Christian, you've got to burn the towel. It's not an option. It's not an option. As a Christian, you burn the towel. You say, I'm with Christ. I'm believing him. I'm serving him. Whatever it costs, right to the end, whether I die, I'm there. By your endurance, you purchase. That's not me. That's the Word of God. So we need to, if we believe Christ is coming, we need to be a ready people, holy, pure, clothed through our works, enduring. And then, so all this is happening. And you see, you know, when you, you, when you read on the news, you go, that's in the Bible. The Bible said that's going to ha- it's happening now. And now people are speaking about famines and shortages and inflation. The Bible says that's all going to happen. All these wars, pestilence, we had COVID. The Bible said all that's going to happen towards the end. And so we say, we see these signs and we better get ready. But, you know, as I said, being negative is different to being pessimistic. No believer should ever be pessimistic. And I'll tell you why. Romans 8 35 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril for it is, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And that's what they were going through. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who love us. So it's like, you can, be, you, can be op- you can be realistic and say it's going to get difficult, but that is difficult. That's totally different to being pessimistic. And as a believer in the last time, you need to be clothed, you need to be working, you need to be enduring, but you also need a positive attitude. You need a positive attitude. Everything works for the good of those who love Him. This, pa- this passage... Yet we are more than conquerors through him who loved them. That means that we are going to have battles. We are going to have trials. And Paul knew those trials. Paul knew he was stoned. He was down, but he was never out. But do you know what more than a conqueror means? This is where it's encouraging. More than a conqueror means God has made us a, 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 a plan. He's made us a promise. That yes, suffering may come. Yes, persecution may come. Yes, I know all that's coming. And, and, but, but this is the thing. For every end time battle you go through, Christ's promise is in that battle, you'll be more than a conqueror. And what does that mean? This is what it means. It means in that battle, you will not only overcome the enemy, But when you come out, you will come out. You'll emerge better than you went in. That's what it means. It means, yeah, you'll face battles. And when you come out of that battle, you'll go through a battle. Battle may last months. But when you come out and you're trusting Christ, He promises you. It's what more than conqueror means. Not only victory, but you'll come out with more than you went in with. Every battle, you've got to believe that. That's the truth. If you trust Christ, every battle, you come out more than you went in with. You come out with more of Christ. 
You, the, 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 the battle, the suffering, the persecution you've endured has a purpose and you come out with much more of Christ than you went in with. And you see this so many times in the Scriptures. There's people, the worst battles they faced in the Scriptures, they came out with more than they went in with. Look at 1 Samuel 30, David at Ziklag. This is his worst battle. He's been serving these men and, and, and laying his life down, living in caves with him. He's been promised the kingdom, but it hasn't happened. He's had to wait for many, many years. And finally, these men who he served threatened to stone him because they'd lost, everyone had lost their wives. An enemy had come and raided their camp and taken their wives captive and all their, their animals and all their possessions had been stolen. And it was so bad that the men spoke of stoning David. But David prayed and the Holy Spirit showed him where to go. And he went into this battle, this, this overwhelming battle, this battle that he didn't even know where to go or how to fight it. David won the battle. But he not only won the battle, the Bible says when they brought him down, the enemy was spread out eating and dancing because of the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So they didn't just have David's stuff, they had other stuff. Then David attacked him from twilight to the evening. Not a man escaped. David recovered all the Amalekites carried away. He rescued his wives. Nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great. But when he came back, David recovered all, plus what is called, verse 20, David's spoil. So he went into the battle. There was a battle he had to fight, but he came out with more than he went in with. You see the same thing with uh, Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. A great enemy comes at Jehoshaphat. He's outnumbered. And the, the prophet says, go into this battle praising God. So he goes in trusting God, praising God. It's a terrible battle. But when he wins the battle, God set ambushes for the enemy. So he not only won the battle, but when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables, of which dead bodies, precious jewels, which they stripped off themselves more than they could carry it away. And they were three days carrying the spoil because there was so much. So they went into battles and they not only won the battle, but they came out with spoil. They came out with more than they went into before the battle started. And this is what it is to be more than a conqueror. Every battle you face at the end, every end time battle you face, you're going to, you are going to emerge stronger. You're going to emerge with more. You're going to emerge wiser, come out wiser. You're going to come out more anointed. You're going to come out with more power and strength. Every battle you go into, God leads you into it for a purpose, to strengthen you, to make you perfect. That's why we are more than conquerors. We don't go into battles, win them and come out the same. We go into battles and come out with more than we went in. That's what more than a conqueror means. And that's why we're going to be positive. Because in the end time, there's going to be battles. But every battle, God's going to turn for your good. Every battle, you're going to come out with more than you went in with. And this is the last reason why you can be positive. Cultivate a positive attitude in the last days. I only saw this this week. But there's a passage in Song of Solomon. 
Can't lose my maps because I believe even in the maps. He brought me to the banqueting house. There's the wedding. And his banner over me was love. Then verse 8. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains. Because Christ is going to appear on that mountain. Skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young star. But he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows, gazing through the ladders. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Says that twice. Rise up, my fair one, and come away. There's the rapture. Then he says, The fig tree puts forth her green figs and the vines with the tender grapes. Who is the fig tree? It's always Israel in the, in the Scriptures. So speaking about the return of Christ, the fig tree will be back in the, in the ground Israel has been planted again back in the land. And then it says this. We are to rise up and come away. When will we rise up and come away? When will the church rise up and go with Christ? This is when. It says, For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. Before Christ comes, we'll go through a winter and the world's going through a winter now. It's like a dark time. But the rain must come. Before he comes, there will be an outpouring of the latter rain. The best is yet to come. Before Christ comes, I believe the greatest revival, the gospel we preached in all the world, and then the end will come. But before the end comes, there is going to be an outpouring. There will be latter rain. Joel 2 speaks about it. And if you're young, you should be so excited because this is your generation. The Bible says that rain will be an outpouring of the Spirit. And when the Spirit is poured out, the young are going to dream dreams and see visions. They're going to get activated by the Holy Spirit like never before for the greatest move of God. There's going to be a move of God when the latter rain is poured out. And I sense it even now. I sense that in the midst of the darkness, God is starting to pour His Spirit out upon the church. And if you're hungry for it, He'll pour His Spirit apart on you. And the, God saves the best for last. This is why you must have a positive attitude. Because in the midst of all the yuck, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the shaking, there is going to be a move of God where the people that are shaken are going to come looking for Christians and you're going to know God from the Holy Spirit and you're going to have an answer. You're going to be able to tell them about God. There is a move of God. God is going to pour out the rain. The rain of revival will be poured out and then the end will come. Then the end will come. And I love this. It says, The fig tree puts forth her green figs and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Never believe what the world says. Israel is like the church. It's the fragrance of the world. It gives a good smell to the nations. But this is what's happening, church. It's God wants to, for us to understand the times. He wants us to be a people who look at the Scriptures and are able to apply it today. And so, I mean, I don't know we, with this, but it looks to me, we, no one knows the date or the hour, it looks to me like we are coming down the runway, that the, all the conditions for Christ's return 
uh, in the Scriptures. They're all happening in the world today. All the Matthew 24 stuff, read it yourself. It's all happening for the first time ever. It's happening all together at once. And the church needs to see ourselves. We are the bride of Christ. We are the ones Christ loved. He's looking forward and longing to marrying his bride. There is going to be a wedding feast and we need to be ready. We need to be prepared by removing all the blandishes. We need to be prepared by being active, believing Christ. That's the works of the saints and using our gifts so our wedding garment is beautiful and we, will, we receive a rich reward for the works we've done. We need to be active and activated. We need to have a spirit of endurance. We need to say, even if I suffer, even if I have to go through stuff, that's normal, but I'm never letting go. I'm never stopping. And every, out of every battle I go through, God is going to bring me out greater than when I went in. That I am more than a conqueror through him. That he knows what he's doing. If trouble comes to me, he's allowed it to get to me. And he says, you're going to come out of that battle with more than you went in. Because in all things, in every end times battle, you and I are more than conquerors. Hallelujah. I tell you, church, there is revival. I don't want you to just come to church and be a church sitter. There is revival in the air. If you're hungry, there is a ladder rain outpouring about to break forth. And I don't care if, we, if we're un, uncouth here. I don't care if we're messy here. We, we don't want fanaticism, but we want the Holy Spirit. We need the latter rain, and God is going to bring it. He's going to bring it into the end time church. He is going to pour out His Spirit in a greater measure than He did at Pentecost. And young men see visions. Young women have visions. Old men have dreams. You know why it's going to be latter rain? Because that harvest that Matthew 24 speaks about, you can't have a rain. You can't have a harvest without latter rain. With every harvest, there is the spring rains and there's the autumn rains. And if you don't get the latter rain, you don't get a crop. And I believe, I believe before Christ comes, many people are coming in. And Christ is going to pour out the latter rain to facilitate it. You ready? This is what it says. Let us be glad and rejoice. You know when I preach this message about Christ's return, you know it should make you glad. And if it doesn't, that's a real warning to your spirit. It means that you are attached to the world too much. There should be a Ah, Christ is coming. And you need to renounce the world. We are a called out people. We are the ecclesia. It means we are called out of the world. We don't belong to it. We're going to live like that now. I'm called out of the world, not part of the world. I'm called out apart from idols. I'm called out from sin. We are a called out people. And we have to live like that now. Be living for Christ, not playing games anymore, not doing church, living for Christ, working for Him by believing Him, serving Him, loving Him, trusting Him, cleansing our life, and never giving up. This, I tell you what, there will be a falling away, but not in this church. There will be a falling away. And I encourage that woman out there who's looking after all those orphans. You're using that gift. There'll be a great reward for you. 
Are you ready for the Holy Spirit? Are you ready? Are you hungry that the latter rain, the Spirit of God, be poured out upon you? Do you want to get so activated for God? Not be like Jonah, but when you see people trembling in the storms, wondering if they're going to perish, you're going to not be sleeping. You've got the word. You're the one who knows God. You've got to speak it to them. That's the works that God wants from his church. And if you get persecuted, you say, oh, God, I'm glorifying you in all this. It's coming. It's coming, church. But remember, God saves the best to last. It's coming, but so is the latter rain. Trouble is coming, but so is revival. You know how you know that? Because Isaiah 60, and Isaiah is the end time book. I've said this many times before. It says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen over you. Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. In other words, the hour of the world's darkness is the hour of the church's glory. It's the hour of the church's greatest revival. Father God, you say to us, be holy as I am holy. I fail, we fail, many have failed. But I thank you for the blood of Jesus. That when we confess our sin, you wash us clean. But Father God, strengthen us to live in a holy and righteous way in these days. Lord, strengthen us daily to put away the idols, the lusts. Empower us to remove the things by the power of the Holy Spirit that we struggle to remove. God, strengthen us, empower us that we may have a white garment, a spotless garment. Do something new in our lives when we are struggling. Do something new that we be a ready people. And show me, Lord, what my gift is if I don't know. Show me where to use it that I may be clothed with the righteous acts. Encourage me that every time I believe, I stand on the word and I trust your son's word that it's the final word, that I'm sowing that garment. Strengthen me with the inner might. Fill me with your joy that I may rejoice. Daily, fill me. Holy Spirit, because the Joy of the Lord is my strength. Encourage me when I'm suffering, that when I go through it, you're going to perfect me. Encourage me, Lord, that if a battle comes my way, when I endure it, I am going to come out with more than I went in with. That I am, I am in Christ more than a conqueror. I already am super victorious. Strengthen those people today that are in a trial. Even if the trial goes five months, I declare they shall not quit, but they shall come out conquerors more than they went in with. That every battle 
in this church shall be won because Christ has won it. And encourage us, Father God, that the greatest revival, the greatest revival is coming at the darkest hour. Make us hungry for another outpouring, Lord. Make us, when we come to church, not to sit through a meeting, but make us come in here hungry for your spirit. Thirsting, thirsting, thirsting for glory and presence until you pour it out upon us. Thank you, Lord. Help us to stay incredibly positive because we are who you say we are, more than conquerors. Through every trial, every challenge, every battle, you never forsake us and you never lose. You never lose. We bless you. We love you. You're so committed to us. Make us ready. Help us to be ready. Whether it's tomorrow, you come. Whether it's 10 years, you come. Let us be a ready people. Lord, I decree over this church that not one person shall be lost. Not one person shall fall away. Not one person will fail in this time. But Father God, each and every person will know what the Holy Spirit is saying. We'll anticipate. We'll be looking for your coming. We'll be anticipating and longing for your coming. Longing for the establishment of your kingdom. Because only your kingdom is the answer to the world's problems. Father God, put that in us. Put that in us. That we all will be prepared and ready in Jesus' name. All the people said. Amen. 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 Revival is coming, church. In the darkest hour. Do you want it? Do you really want to be revived in yourself? Do you really want a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit? We also need it. Do you want Holy Ghost fire on your life? That's what God's going to do in this hour. This hour. And you'll have it if you want it. If you can do without it, you will live without it. But if you want it, you'll get it. Great move of God is coming. In the midst of everything. God bless Him. Stand up and praise Him.